Welcome to From Ashes to Beauty with John Ortberg. Each day, Monday through Friday, you'll find 10 minutes of relevant spiritual guidance on the kind of people we are becoming. Follow us on YouTube at becomenew.me or receive daily text alerts when a new episode is published by texting the word BECOME to the number 56525. Invite a friend to listen along by sharing this podcast or sharing the link becomenew.me. We're glad you're here. And now, here's John. I want to welcome you today to the most important journey of your life. It is a spiritual journey. We're going together to Easter, to resurrection, to God, to life. We're going from ashes to beauty. And where we start with is the realization that we can't do this on our own. We have deep need. We need each other. I want to recommend for you, if you're on this journey, that you don't do it in isolation. Get somebody to share it with, to talk about it with, to pray for you. Get a soul friend, a Lenten buddy. I don't know what the right word for it is, a lentil rental, and ask them to walk on this with you. And I want to thank all of you. Scores and scores of you wrote in response to this question, where do I most feel powerless? Where do I need help from God? And it was uh, such a strange comfort to me. I felt so much like I, I'm not alone, not the only one. And I wish that we could all be in a giant circle together to hear each other's stories. But it was so moving, I want to read some. People wrote in, where I feel powerless is uh, over the aging process and being slowly forgotten, over my eating, over being known, over the death of a loved one, over my bitterness, I just feel powerless over it, over my future, which I cannot control, over infertility, over deeply ingrained reactions and attitudes, over the past that I cannot change, over other people. That was quite a common one. Somebody wrote other people trying to let go of these and give them to God. Actually, what they actually uh, wrote was trying to let go of these abs. I think that was an autocorrect problem, but maybe not. Maybe it's, you know, we're all told you got to have great abs to be happy. So maybe just let go of that one. What's my body going to do? What's aging going to do to it? That's a really hard one to let go. I'm not in control of anything. A lot of people wrote about uh, COVID this past year. Man, if there's ever been a year that ought to teach us we're not in control of our world, COVID, pandemic, political turmoil, racial injustice, economic uh, churn, but what a lot of folks wrote about is not just not being able to control my outer world, but not being able to control my inner world. I can't seem to control what I think or what I feel, or what I do. And this is an ancient problem. As I understand it, Socrates, thousands of years ago, said that the problem is that we don't know the right thing to do, that if we really knew enough, then we would do enough. If we knew right, we would do right. But there's always been another stream of thought on this, that the problem lies deeper than just education. There was an article in the Harvard Business Review a few years ago called The Knowing-Doing Gap. And these authors were looking at human beings in community and corporate life. And they said, it doesn't seem to be an information problem. It's, it, the language is so interesting. They said there were embedded forces. And they talked about ego, unhealthy competitive attitudes, and fear and hypocrisy that we can talk a good talk, but we can't walk it. And the kind of just living on default autopilot. And this moves to what was said a few thousand years ago by a very profound thinker named the Apostle Paul. 
and he speaks for so many human beings. I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And you've stared at the ceiling at three o'clock in the morning because of that problem. I have a desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. And it's true in our lives, in our relationships with other people, speaking the truth, being generous, sexuality, in our anger. Why do I do this? And, and you'd think the answer to this, you'd think what God would say to people is, buck up, try harder, uh, give it a better shot. And often that's what we're told. Often the secular world just says, be empowered, have more confidence. And even in the church we hear, come on, just you're not committed enough, try harder. But across the centuries, from our friend Jesus comes another word. No, no, you can't do it on your own. So just give up. One spiritual community that has discovered this in fresh ways in the last century or so puts it like this. It is only through utter defeat that we take the first steps towards liberation and strength. It turns out that the admission of personal powerlessness is the only firm bedrock for a happy and purposeful life. Now, why is that? Well, because that's the only way to be uh, uh, connected with a greater power. Jesus often teaches about this. I'll, I'll mention it through one story that you probably know. And you might think about uh, three different stages in life or three different zones of life. And the first one is tolerable misery. This is a character called the prodigal son. He decides he's going to run his own program. His ego is going to be in charge. He's going to engineer his circumstances, gets the inheritance that's coming to him, wine, women, and song. Doesn't work out so well. He ends up in the hog trough. Worst place you can be when you're a young Israelite boy. Pigs were considered unclean animals. This is a betrayal of every value, your identity. And we don't know how long he's at the hog trough. But for a while, he's in that stage. Tolerable misery. I can live like this. I can go on. At least I'm still in control. I have my pride. Could be worse. Other people are in a much worse place than me. And then he is given a moment of truth. Now this is given to him from God. The way that Jesus puts it is, when he came to his senses, he was at the trough for a while. That wasn't enough. But he gets a moment of truth and he comes to his senses. And then he realizes, I can't live like this anymore. I thought I was smart enough. I thought I could be in charge. This is intolerable. I never thought it would be this bad. This is just the worst. My friend Mike says, it's always darkest before it's pitch black. And he hits pitch black. He is at the end of his rope. Now that's the lowest level. But it turns out the end of your rope is not such a bad place to be because you'll meet God there. Dallas Willard used to say, God's address is at the end of myrope.com. It's a lot worse to be almost at the end of your rope because then you're in tolerable misery. See, it turns out that the only way to go up is down. You hit bottom and then, and then you're motivated enough to say, okay, I just give up. I'm giving up my program. I'm not trying to run my life anymore. I'm not trying to engineer any particular circumstances. God, you have it, not me. And you find new management. So you go under new management and, and then you discover a new way of life that is uh, transcends circumstances and you discover a new community that will help you with all of this. It's not about engineering the right circumstances. One of the most important and most painful lessons that I've learned over the last year or so is that having circumstances be okay is not an adequate foundation for life. 
I couldn't engineer them. I kept thinking, I got to fix this. I got to fix that. I got to fix this person. I got to make this. And, and finally, I just had to say, I don't know. Circumstances are awful and they may get worse. And I'm not in the circumstances engineering uh, category anymore. Uh, I'm just fully surrendering. God, I just give up. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't control my circumstances and I can't control my fear and I can't control my anger and I can't, I just can't. And then God comes in and now, see, we want to create a community where we bring our personal inadequacy to God and to each other with great freedom. Kent Dunnington has a fabulous book. It's called Addiction and Virtue. And he's looking at why there is such spiritual power in the 12-step movement. And he says part of the genius of it is this, that they realize that when an addict recognizes and publicly acknowledges his addiction, that is a spiritual achievement to be celebrated. And so often in our world, in families, in works, it's killing young people in school. It puts pressures on people. And even in churches, what we celebrate is adequacy and strength and competence. No, no, no. The genius of the 12-step movement is that the recognition and public confession of personal inadequacy is seen to be a spiritual achievement that needs to be celebrated and ritualized. So welcome to the celebration of personal inadequacy. That's always what happens in the Bible. When God meets with somebody, the response is never, my life's going pretty well, thank you very much. It's, Peter, get away from me, Lord, I'm a sinful man. It's Isaiah, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips, living a people of unclean lips, I've seen the living God. Pause, why are you persecuting me? Over and over and over. And that recognition and public confession of inadequacy is celebrated because that's the beginning of spiritual power. So now that's the community we're building with each other. Welcome to the celebration of personal inadequacy. No pretending, no parading our power. No, we celebrate anytime any of us recognizes. And when we relapse and when we slip, we just come right back. And then the community says, way to go. We do that for each other right now, way to go. So today, no big promises to God, you know, no big commitments, no heroic actions of generosity or uh, forbearance. Just as you walk through the day, look, where do you need help? Where are you powerless? Over your body, over the traffic, over your boss, over your work or lack of work, over your body as it ages, over your bitterness, over your infertility, over your anger, over your depression, over your anxiety. Where do you come to the end of your rope? Oh God, oh God, I wanna meet you there. Jesus knows all about being at the end of his rope. He came to it at the cross and his response was, God, into your hands I commend my spirit. And then he was one resurrection away the only way up is down. I'll see you tomorrow.